folks we are back with another edition of the red and white podcast i'm your host evan here with the special guest kyle co-host of the gambling gauchos podcast kyle how are you doing i'm doing great thanks for having me well i appreciate your time jumping on with us i'd like to get into you know texas tech and you know football program and you know just in general life at texas tech the question I got most often when I ask people, what do, want to, what do they want to know? Is it corn tortillas or flour tortillas that y'all throw? <laughs> There's a debate to be had on which one flies better through the air. Um, <laughs> I, I vote corn for eating, but I think the flour tortillas fly a little bit better if you're looking at throwing them onto the field. I love it. Uh, last week we had a, or yeah, last pod two weeks ago when we, before we played ECU, we had a guy on from an ECU podcast, and he dropped all kinds of hot takes on us about how ECU and the G5, uh, you know, they were disrespected. They should really be, it should really be the power six and all kinds of comments. So you've got a lot to live up to okay. uh, in the hot takes department. Cause that guy, he was spitting hot fire for us and it was, it was a fun week on social media. Okay. But, I'll, I'll try to live up uh, to the hype. <laughs> <laughs> I guess what I want to know uh, probably the first question. When people think of Texas Tech, they think of the Mike Leach era, the air raid offense. Ha- I don't think that's you know. I watched their Houston game last week. Uh, Texas Tech's not an air raid team anymore. What is, what kind of program is Texas Tech right now under Joey McGuire? Well, we've had a bit of an identity crisis over the last decade, and so we're two games into the Joey McGuire era, and I think trying to find our footing. Um, you know, it's just been a weird kind of dichotomy lately. So you alluded to the Mike Leach era, which probably was the best decade of Texas Tech football when you count the entire 10-year stretch. He went to 10 bowl games, I think won six or seven of those. He was pretty successful against Oklahoma, beat Texas a couple times. You never quite got over the top there in terms of winning a Big 12 title or reaching a BCS or New Year's Six type game, but it was it was pretty steady success. And four of his last five years here, you won nine or more games. And then you follow that up with the worst decade in program history in terms of conference win percentage. And so I think our sort of brand and, and how people perceive the program right now is at almost an all-time low. And I, I have thought for many years that the core issue was a lack of recruiting. You know, you can scheme certain things and, and all that, but at the end of the day, if you're lining up with a disadvantage and less talented players, smaller, slower players, you're not going to win – 85% of the time. And Cliff Kingsbury, for all his brilliance with the X's and O's, did not like the recruiting part of building a program. <laughs> um, I think his best class was maybe in the 40s, but we also had at one point the worst recruiting class in the Power Five, according to the to the uh, rivals and 24-7 type databases. And so when you do that for several years, you know, you got the eighth or ninth best talent in the Big 12 you're pretty much only better than Kansas over a long period of time. And, you know, that results in some definite low points for the program. Joey McGuire was hired last November, so he actually had some time to get to work before the first signing day period. And he got our class from, I think it was 72nd when he was hired up to about 37th in one month. 
And so he's got very deep recruiting ties in the state of Texas. And I think that is going to be the catalyst that ultimately hopefully turns the program around if he can start to assemble some recruiting classes over the span of two or three years that that puts us back on par with what I think should be peer programs like Oklahoma State and Baylor in the new Big 12. So that's kind of where things are right now. And, you know, it'll be a very interesting year one. I think the consensus around the program is that if you can reach a bowl game in year one, that that's a success. Anything more than that, if you can get to seven or eight wins, is is just icing on the cake. But I think folks would be a little bit disappointed if we fell short of reaching a bowl game this season. Were y'all shocked when Matt Wells got fired halfway through the year last year? No, not at all. Um, he 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 should have been fired after year two. Uh, the reason he wasn't was because of the pandemic. Um, and it wasn't really any one thing. I mean, it was a culmination of, like I said, poor recruiting. I think his classes were somewhere in the 50 to 70 range. I mean, he wasn't recruiting well enough to win long term. Uh, he lost to Kansas. We uh, We kicked a field goal on second down against TCU that – contributed to a loss there. And the game that really did him in was Kansas State last season. We played that game at home here in Lubbock, had a lead at halftime and didn't score a single point in the second half. And uh, he was he was relieved of his duties the next day. The Actually, the, the reaction nationally to that firing kind of surprised me. You had a lot of Joel Klatt types who r- really kind of didn't hold any punches against Texas Tech. You know, they kind of called it a chicken move and, and thought – yeah. You know, I think their opinion was that it was sort of a chicken move, and and that Texas Tech fired him so that he wouldn't have a chance to save his job against OU the following week. Which internally, I just think is ridiculous. You had no shot to beat OU in Norman um, had you kept Matt Wells around. So I was glad that they made the change when they did. Like I said, it allowed the new coach to to make some improvements on the recruiting trail before the early signing period was over, and and beyond that, just the recruiting. I think. Joey McGuire has really energized his fan base. The season ticket sales are higher than they've been in about eight years here, going back to Cliff Kingsbury's second season as head coach. So I think it was the right move. I think you're definitely headed in the right direction, and I think that has also reflected itself with the recruiting um, momentum and the fan base energy that has corresponded with the coaching change. Yeah, you said something that, that made my eyebrows raise. Then you said the national perspective or the, the national opinion of Texas Tech is not very high. And as an outsider, I don't think that's true. Like, uh, I don't think we think of Texas Tech like that. I think we probably reference more the air raid years, the the high, the shootouts. I don't think of Texas Tech as like a bottom feeder program like you you would some others. Or, you know, I don't think state fans in general have a low opinion of Texas Tech, even before, you know, last week and, you know, the higher. I think in general, I think it's a, probably a program uh, maybe similar to ours that has some recruiting challenges, right? You've got – you guys are kind of isolated out in West Texas. You know, we are just surrounded by other Power 5 schools. It's, it's a different challenge, but it's a challenge nonetheless. And um, so just <laughs> something you can convey to your folks is that I don't think the national opinion is – uh, bad about Texas Tech. I think it's just a program that was exciting for all those years, right? There's a lot of fun, a lot of fun games to watch. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just wanted to, wanted to share that. I didn't think Texas Tech is a bottom feeder by any means. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate that. And maybe it's more of a, a regional or, or Big 12 type sentiment. And, and I spoke to that dichotomy of you come off your best decade in program history, followed up with the worst decade in program history. At the same yeah. time, Oklahoma State 
Baylor and TCU are arguably having – they just finished probably their best decade in program history while you were falling off a cliff. So I don't know. Maybe we have uh, too low of an opinion of ourselves just because you know we're, we're fans. It's short for, it's short for yeah. fanatics. Um, but anyway, I hope to see that kind of correct itself. And I think those are the types of programs that I could see ourselves being on par with. And they've won – you know, depending on which program you're talking about, a Big 12 title or two, or appeared in, won a New Year's Six Bowl or two over the last decade. And so I hope we can get there, um, just thinking, you know, a few years down the road. You know, I think our perspective, Joey McGuire is a good hire. Um, he's, like you said, he's got a lot of ties to Texas, uh, Texas high schools and recruiting. Like that was well known when that came when that came about, I'll, I'll gotta, I got to be remiss if I didn't ask you a few questions about Texas Tech's you know, football history. First of all, uh, Cliff Kingsbury, when he got hired by the Arizona Cardinals, I'm pretty sure everybody in college football, at least this side of the Mississippi, was shocked that an NFL team would come get, you know, essentially he was six and six at Texas Tech a lot, right? Like, mm-hmm. what, what, what the hell was that about? How did he get the Arizona Cardinals job. Yeah, no, it's, it's funny you asked that question because like I said, when he was here, my diagnosis, and I think this has proven true, he's basically admitted, you know, I, I didn't like recruiting and I don't blame him. I mean, the last thing I would want to do is yeah. go try and pander to 25, 17 year olds <laughs> to try to get a recruiting class. You know, he's yes. a, he's a brainiac. He knows the game inside and out and he's brilliant from that perspective. Um, what I what I think would have made Cliff more successful here is if he had hired different assistants around him. Um, you know, a guy like Joey McGuire, who was an associate head coach at Baylor before being hired here. But, you know, a guy to be your number two, and, you know, he takes on all the recruiting, the relationship building. And I don't think he ever really had that support system. But anyway, as it kind of approached the end of his tenure and fans started to say to themselves, okay, we, we love Cliff. You know, he played here, he coached here, but this isn't working out. I told everybody – not be careful what you wish for, but I said, as soon as he gets fired, you know, probably half the jobs in the NFL would hire him as an offensive coordinator or quarterbacks coach. And if you'll recall, he actually took the offensive coordinator job at USC for about five minutes. Yeah. And, uh, and I thought, okay, that's a great fit for him. You know, he doesn't have to recruit. He can just do the X's and O's call the plays. He'll be great at that. Um, and then we learned he was a finalist for the New York jets and the Arizona Cardinals job. And I thought, you know, it is strange to kind of fail up is the term that everybody used. But yeah. I always thought he was a better fit in the NFL. You know, you're working with guys that are paid professionals. You don't have to recruit your roster every year and deal with the transfer portal and all that. And so in a lot of – I didn't think he would be as a head coach. I thought he would go to the NFL as an OC slash quarterbacks coach. Um, so I, I was a little surprised by it, but I actually wasn't shocked. And I think he is a better fit in the league than he is in, in the college game. Yeah, it's interesting, man. It was just, and I see that, and that all makes sense. And I just remember hearing that, and I'm like, man, that's crazy. That just, I don't know, just nobody. I guess I didn't see it coming, like everybody else. Yeah. But yeah, it's wild. Speaking of things you didn't see coming, did you guys know what you had with Patrick Mahomes? Yeah, I. Uh, so a, a funny story. Uh, I hope I'm not down in the weeds here, but. Um, no, go ahead. That's what we're here for. You know, I, I, I'm i only a few years older than Patrick Mahomes, and uh, I was working on campus at Texas Tech the summer that he came in as a freshman. And, you know, th- there's nobody who knows who he is at this point. Um, but I know because I've, I follow the recruiting and everything closely. And 
uh, we're actually organizing a dodgeball game at the rec center on campus. And to everybody else, he's just some freshman. And, you know, I recognize him. I said, okay, this guy was drafted to be a pitcher, you know, by the majors coming out of high school. He's a good quarterback prospect. You know, I was like, I bet this guy can probably throw a dodgeball pretty good. So uh, I'm going to, I'm going to be on his team. <laughs> and uh, sure enough, you know, he's just pelting these unsuspecting kids who don't know he has a cannon for an arm. And uh, he, he's a freak athlete. You know, he's he's obviously good at football. Um, but I played basketball with him. I played dodgeball with him at the rec. He's good at both of those. Like I said, he was drafted into the majors coming out of high school. He could have gone pro in that. So yeah, I, I knew pretty early that the raw talent was there. I'd be lying if I said that I knew in in year three he'd he'd win a Super Bowl MVP. But I think it was a perfect fit going to Kansas City and working with a guy like Andy Reid. Because you see these uber talented guys, you know, just waste away with these bad coaches and bad franchises. And so, the fact that he went to a team that was already winning division titles and making the playoffs year in and year out had that support system around him. I think really allowed him to blossom. So yeah, it was it was frustrating to watch him at Tech because he was so good and the offense was top five nationally, but defense was literally last in the FBS in in a lot of those important categories. And so. You know, he went 500 here and, you know, everybody who doesn't really follow Texas Tech that closely looks back like, how did you go five and seven with Patrick Mahomes? And it's like, well, we lost we lost two games with him when he scored 60 plus points. We lost, I think, eight games where he scored 40 plus. And so that's that's how, you know, it uh, it is hard to do. But, you know, we we managed to pull that off with some historically bad defenses. What's what's the Texas Tech's fan base? general opinion on Baker Mayfield? (laughs) Um, Not too great. Uh, I think there are some guys who played with him uh, his first year here that, you know, still, uh, you know, I think they're cool with him. I think that that was a little bit more intense of a hatred when he was, of course, still playing in the conference and, you know, you got to go against him every year. But, yeah, I'd be lying if I said there wasn't some schadenfreude uh, regarding his NFL career and kind of how that's progressed especially sort of at the same time that Patrick Mahomes is, you know, signing this $500 million contract, winning NFL MVP, <laughs> Super Bowl MVP. You know, we, we certainly didn't get the last word between those two um, while they were in college, but looking at it now, you know, five years later, I think Patrick certainly got the better end of that deal. NC State and Texas Tech have m- matched up a few times in the past and – I'm going to date myself, but this is back when I was in college. 2002, 2003 was the last time I think we had a series. Um, 2002 game went to overtime. The state fans know it as T.A. McClendon's five-touchdown game. And that was like 50-48, to 51-48, something like that. And and then the 2003 game was our Phillip Rivers game where Texas Tech still had 684 yards offense but only scored 20-some points in – and the pack won that game. It's we've had some matchups over the years. It's kind of a random connection between two schools that you know that have you just you know more than a game, right? Like we don't have this with Texas or some of these other schools. So I think it's interesting. I'm glad they have you know, kind of renewed this right or brought this game up because it's it's an interesting game for us. Uh, we don't get too many Power Five games. We don't get too many Power Five teams coming to Raleigh. Um, outside of the conference, so it's it's fun for us in this, um, you know, to have this matchup. How 
what is y'all's opinion of NC State? When you hear of NC State, this is a question I ask a lot of people. Um, just like I told you, or, or you know, how we see Texas Tech. What do Texas Tech t- fans think of when they think of NC State? Yeah, uh, great question. I, I think it's probably viewed really similarly. Um, you know, in the Big Twelve, you play nine conference games, and about ninety percent of the teams play one Power Five, one Group of Five, and one FCS for the non-conference schedule. And so, yeah, I, I think this game is viewed similarly to when we played. I'm just, I'm going to rattle off some programs that we played in recent memory in the non-conference, like Ole Miss, Arizona, Arizona State. You know, programs that aren't, um, I would say, like elite at the top of the sport, like Ohio State, Clemson, um, but still, like you said, a very intriguing matchup. You know, it's also not Vanderbilt or Kansas or something like that. So I think fans have been excited about this since it was scheduled, I think, in 2016. Uh, I will say at the time when it was scheduled, we didn't think that NC State was going to be a top 15 program. Um, <laughs> but you just never know when you're scheduling that far out how, how teams right. are going to be five or ten years down the road. So, yeah, I think it's an exciting one. And I, I know we look forward to the return trip when NC State comes here. And I think we've got a home-and-home home with Oregon coming up as well. So, yeah, it, it's exciting, you know, for the for a non-conference to – sometimes doesn't have very much juice to to have a game against a top 15 top 20 opponent like NC State is really exciting you know I, I think the I think the sentiment among the fan base is you know of course we would like to win the game um, I don't know if many expect to but either way you know you're in year one of a new coaching regime you want to learn kind of who your team is who your guys are before the conference slate starts and I think NC State is a great test for that because you know they're, they're such a good team that It'll it'll expose some weaknesses Texas Tech has, and hopefully also highlight a couple strengths we have that we can build on going into Big Twelve play. So, I would say overall the fan base is very excited for this game. State returns to Lubbock in, <laughs> I guess yeah, I guess that's Lubbock. Um, twenty twenty seven. That's crazy. It's that far apart. Yeah, that's what I thought it was. So weird. I know so it really weird. is. <laughs> um, that'd be my big road trip game for my crew. That's uh, one of those ones I wanted to get to, kind of random. Yeah. Uh, well, a, another interesting note about that Philip Rivers game in 03, um, Texas Tech's quarterback was B.J. Simmons. I don't know if that's a mm-hmm. name that NC State fans yeah. will remember, but he um, he held the NCAA single-season record for touchdown passes until this past season when Bailey Zappi from Western Kentucky broke that record. A um, couple notes on that. Bailey Zappi's offensive coordinator at Western Kentucky was Zach Kitley, who – took the Texas Tech offensive coordinator job. And also that, that same season is kind of strange for, for BJ. He played Phillip Rivers. He played yeah. Eli Manning. Uh, he played Joel Klatt at Colorado. And I think 03 was also the season where Vince Young started to get some playing time from Chance Mock at Texas. So BJ, you know, for as great of a season as he had, was kind of overshadowed sometimes by the guy on the opposite sideline. Um, who wasn't putting up the same numbers just by way of the system being um, insane that Mike Leach ran. But anyway, that 03 season, I think it ended in a pretty like mid-tier bowl game against Navy, but some very special games along the way and just some some really cool quarterback duels between B.J. Simmons and, and guys like Phillip Rivers, Eli Manning, and, and guys like that. It's always fun to look back and, and see those matchups. Like I remember watching some of the, some of the guys you know that, that State has played. And it's just always fun to kind of like, where are they now kind of deal? Yeah. Some of them are like, you know, you know, we played two, in 2002, played 
Kingsbury is a quarterback for Texas Tech, right? It was just one of those. Um, it's it's always it's interesting to see that they go back, but that's a hell of a QB lineup that yeah y'all played y'all played in two thousand three. That's ridiculous. Yeah, uh, I think I think Kitley was a great hire from uh, Western Kentucky. I, I I like what he does. I, obviously, everybody liked what he did with the Western Kentucky offense. Uh, they were dynamic. Those dudes could score some points. How how are y'all feeling so far about? Um, you know, what you're seeing offensively. I know last week was, you know, probably an emotional win. Let me back up. Where in your hierarchy of rivals, where the Texas landscape's crazy, man. There's so many good football programs. Where does Houston sit? Where does Texas sit? Who's your main main couple rivals? Well, the answer to that question has probably changed as the conference realignment discussion has unfolded. I think 10 years ago when Texas A&M was in the Big 12, I think them and Texas were like 1 and 1A. You know, depending on who you asked and who has family that went where or where they grew up, you'd get a different answer, but those would be the top 2 for sure. I think there's still some animosity with A&M, but you haven't played them in in football or basketball in a decade, so it's kind of hard for like the current students. They've never experienced those games. Um Everybody's really mad at Texas over the last year or two, one for leaving the Big 12 and kind of leaving us high and dry, or so it seemed. I think the Big 12 is in a good spot now. But then also they took our basketball coach. And so right now everybody would tell you Texas, uh, (laughs) um, which is funny note on that, the North Carolina job came open like I think the day after Beard went to Texas. Some of us wondered would would he have been a candidate there. I don't know. but um, So anyway – it, there's like a white hot hatred for Texas right now, but same deal. If they leave in a year or two and you don't play them for a decade, you know, is that going to go away? And so then I think it falls to like some pretty co-equal rivals. I think Houston will be uh, kind of like an East Texas, West Texas type rivalry. And, and they're looking for a dancing partner. You know, they don't really have any rivalries right now. I don't think um, Baylor and TCU are obviously primary rivals of each other. Both programs have a long history with Texas Tech, and it's another in-state deal where a lot of your coworkers or your friends from high school or family members went to one of those two schools. And so those are both fun. And then Oklahoma State is kind of the last one. Uh, That's, I think, a really underrated rivalry. Very similar schools, similar fan bases. The all-time series is exactly tied. I think it's 23 to 23 all-time. And if they don't renew the Bedlam series out of conference, they're going to be looking for kind of a dancing partner. So... I really think you, in some ways you have four roughly co-equal rivals in the new Big 12. And again, depending on who you ask, maybe you'd get an, a more definitive answer. But I think any one of those four, and Texas Tech has always prided itself on kind of having this chip on its shoulder, we hate everybody type mentality. So <laughs> I think we're fine having multiple rivals instead of just one you know, big game rivalry every year. So I think that's actually something to look forward to in the in the new Big 12. The new Big Twelve, I, I think the it's interesting how much that has changed over the last like four months. I think in in the spring, everybody saw the Big Twelve like, oh, Big Twelve is going to be dead. They're getting squeezed out. Now the Big Twelve is in a pretty good position, and there's other conferences that, that are feeling the heat. And I actually think the Big Twelve right now our our community does a, our own poll, like our own top twenty five, and. In that end of that, in the 20 to 25 range, I put a bunch of Big 12 teams in there. I feel like they have some some good road wins. I feel like there's just a bunch of good programs in there now. It's it's interesting how that has changed that much. How, how are y'all feeling about the Big 12 and Big 12, the new Big 12? 
Yeah, I think mostly from the like I get that it's it's TV dollars that drive all these discussions, and from that standpoint, you're obviously going to be far behind the the power two, so to speak. But from a fan enjoyment perspective, which is what I care about, I mean, I don't I don't get a cut of that TV check. You know, I think you're going to have a league with a ton of parity. You know, right now Texas and OU just kind of dwarf everybody else in terms of inherent advantages and resources financial and otherwise so to have a league where like you said you look around BYU Cincinnati Oklahoma State Baylor um, all kind of comparable right now I think in terms of their program strength I think UCF has a ton of potential especially once they get admission to a power five conference I think Texas Tech has potential Uh, Kansas State has done it before under Bill Snyder can they can they replicate that stretch where they had six 11 win seasons in a seven-year span with Kleiman maybe and, uh, you know, Iowa State right now has it rolling with Matt Campbell. So I think it, and hope it'll be a very entertaining and competitive league without just one or two schools dominating at the top and kind of capping a ceiling with every other program. So from that angle, you know, I really like it. And then if you are able to add some schools from the Pac-12, whether it's the two Arizonas or the four corners, again, I think similar type programs to what's already going to be in the new Big 12. So I think it just adds more depth to that parity and competition, and and I think it'll be a very entertaining conference. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. I think it's <clears throat> to me it's one of the football conferences that is top to bottom pretty good. There doesn't seem to be anybody who's real bad, and doesn't see, you know when Oklahoma leads doesn't seem to be anybody that's like dominating everybody else. And that is that is more interesting to me than a conference with you know that's top heavy that only has you know, an Alabama and a Georgia out there and then everybody else is kind of in the middle. I, yep. I like to see, I, I like where the big 12 stands. And I think the future of it is going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I mean, historically there's been some real entertaining games and I think that'll probably continue. There's a real good balance in there. Yeah. With, yeah I think um, so too. Houston, Houston game last week, man, that, that was a wild one, right? And it was, that was yeah. probably an emotional one for the players and, you know, the fir- first big home win, for Joey McGuire, all that stuff. And then, you know, you, you come to Raleigh, come out, come out East, kind of a boring trip. And then you have Texas the week after, like, I don't, wouldn't define it as a trap game because we're favored, but is there any concern on the Texas tech side that they're probably focused on Texas or is it going to be something that you guys are maybe going to learn about Joey McGuire? Can he keep his team focused on the next game at hand or are they going to just be kind of looking ahead a little bit i i really don't get that sense from the fan base you know yeah you do have a big game against texas back in lubbock um two weeks from now but i think this one has been a game that's been circled on everyone's calendar going back to last season when north carolina state um proved themselves to be a a really strong team and you know we we kind of thought okay we're going to get probably a top 25 houston team in the non-con and then barring an upset early in the season, you know, top 15, top 20 NC State team. So I actually think it's really exciting um, because it's a non-conference game. You know, it's sort of a house money situation. You know, if, you, if you if you do win as 10-point underdogs, okay, you just made a great statement on the road against a, a great team. If you lose, you just hit the reset button and say, okay, it's, it's week zero again. We're going to Big 12 play and, and we move on. So I, I really don't think – um, and certainly hope that it's not a, a trap game or that anybody's overlooking it for Texas. Um, so, yeah, I, I think hope, hopefully they're focused and, you know, they are 10-point underdogs. So I'd, I would be disappointed if it's not a, 
competitive game in the second half. And of course, I hope we win, but you know, I, I would really be impressed and, and think the team could really build upon a, a close game with a, a competitive performance against NC State. What's the big? What's been the biggest change from staff to staff under Joey McGuire? From just any any of the previous staffs, like what is he doing different, like culturally or you know, with the program? What do you, what do you guys see that's different? Something they've really harped on. There was actually a mini series on ESPN Plus this offseason called The Brand. And that's something he's been really intentional about. You know, every program has its core values and, and and maybe two or three bullet points that a coach wants to really ingrain in all of his players. And for the McGuire staff, it's the brand. And that's being the toughest, hardest working, most competitive team in the country. It doesn't say we're the biggest, fastest, best team in the country, but you know, we're gonna be a thorn in everybody's side when we play them. We're not going to quit. We're going to be extremely competitive in everything we do. And I, I I, think what was so encouraging to me is in the Houston game, they they backed up all that talk because you know, it's one thing to say we're going to be tough, hardworking, competitive. It's another thing to kind of play like crap the entire second half, somehow find a way to tie it to get it to overtime and then win the game anyway. Like That is the exact kind of game that you've lost way too many times over the last five or ten years at Texas Tech. And so you can certainly nitpick the performance from an X's and O's standpoint and say this guy needs to be better, this unit needs to be better. But just the between the ears mental fortitude part, I thought really manifested itself. And to me, that shows that the coaching staff is making a difference. And at the very least, the guys are going to be tough between the ears, not let a mistake kind of linger um, on the next play or the next drive. To me, they showed the ability to get past that and, and won a game because of it that I don't think past coaching staffs would have won. Do you, you, you said a few things so far that have it almost verbatim what I say in some of our podcasts. And I think it's funny. So I'm going to ask you this question that I didn't plan on. Do y'all, when you look at your program, do you ever see, do you ever say, I want to be, you know, why can't we just be like this program or why can't we be like this? And I'm curious if you do who it is, because I use Texas Tech for basketball. When we're talking about our basketball team, it's like, why can't we just be Texas Tech basketball? They're good. They're well coached. They're, they're like, they don't have a bunch of superstars, and they just they get it done. They play hard, that kind of thing. But from the football standpoint, do you guys ever make that connection with anybody? And if so, who it is? Who is it? Well, I would I would have two answers. Uh, the first is Oklahoma State. Uh, I alluded to this earlier, but I think they're just a really similar university and really similar football program. You know, they're their student body is about twenty five or 30,000, I think. Texas, Texas, 40,000. You're, like you said, isolated from kind of the large metro populations in Texas. But Stillwater, Oklahoma is not exactly close to a whole lot either. Uh, yeah. both, both stadiums seat 60,000 people. You know, they play in the same conference. They're both the kind of secondary school in their, in their state. You know, they're always kind of an OU shadow. Tech is always an A&M and UT's shadow. But having said all that, they've won 11 games multiple times over the last decade. They've won a Big 12 title. They were literally a few inches away from a Big 12 title last season. Um, they've won multiple New Year's Six Bowls. And again, all this is going on while Tech is like struggling to make it to a bowl game. And so I've always looked at Oklahoma State and thought you know, that you should, you should have a similar ceiling to them. And then the other one when I'm really dreaming is, uh, is Clemson. And that might sound ridiculous, but I'm going to take you back, way back to uh, the 2002 season. Texas Tech and Clemson met in the Tangerine Bowl 
And Cliff Kingsbury and Texas Tech house him. I think it was like 52 to 13. I mean, blew him out of the water. Um, over the next decade, they had a really comparable record. You know, before before Clemson hired Dabo and before Mike Leach was fired, both programs were, you know, I think roughly a nine-win team on average. And then the decade after that, of course, they explode with they, – they obviously made a great hire. They recruit at a really high level. They make it to the college football playoff, win a couple of natties, and Texas Tech falls off a cliff. And so I always go back to that 2009 time frame and go, you were – you were the exact same program as Clemson, more or less, you know, uh, in 2009. You know, they had a national title, I think, in 1980 or 1981 that Texas Tech has never achieved. But if you just took a snapshot in 2009, you would have thought, yeah, Clemson and Texas Tech are in a really similar spot. And then to see them ascend to basically, you know, modern blue blood status while you have been relegated to the bottom half of the Big 12 is really frustrating. So when I really get to dreaming about it, you know, what could the absolute maximum ceiling be? I look at where Clemson was in 2009 and where Texas Tech was in 2009 and think, you know, you, you really weren't so different. It's funny. Like, I, I know my long-term listeners are going to hear that and be like, damn, that's what he says, because that's what I used to say with, with <laughs> NC State. I used to, you know, uh, Clemson and NC State with textile bowl, and there's a lot of really good games in there. And for a long time, both teams were, you know, eight nine, eight wins. I wouldn't say State's a nine-win team, but, you know, they're, they're very competitive. They're very similar. Uh, very similar universities, and then Clemson just, you know, they they went to next level. My my team is always Utah. Like I was like, why can't we be Utah? They they're a pain to play for everybody. They they're always well coached. They're going to win, you know, nine ten games. They're going to compete for their division and, and their yeah. conference. You know, that's that's the program I always look at. Uh, but yeah, the, the Clemson Clemson is that's funny because that's a very similar <laughs> conversation. And I do remember the that the Clemson Texas Tech ball game that James yeah. Green Bowl that was. That was fun. What um, going back to? I, I want to get into this this team now. Like, you know, we, we probably established it's probably not an air raid team anymore. How, what's the identity of this team? Well, so I think that we have an aggressive defense, and what I would say we're most susceptible to is is getting beat deep and maybe, maybe some screen passes. You know, if we bring a an ill-timed blitz. Um, Houston gashed us for multiple screens that went for, you know, <laughs> 10, 15-plus yards. And so they they did beat us deep over the top once. Um, I'm a little bit bitter about it because it was a pretty obvious offensive pass interference that went uncalled. Um, but overall, the defense, you know, it was a little bit worrying after the Murray State game in the season opener because they actually they beat us over the top like three or four times for huge gains. And I'm sitting there like, okay, we've got all these DBs that are experienced guys, you know, especially with COVID. Some of them are in their fourth, fifth, sixth year of college, and we can't keep an FCS offense in front of us. That was a huge improvement from week one to week two. I thought the defense played a lot better against Houston. For your listeners that just kind of saw the final score of that game, I think the final was 33 to 30. It was 20 to 20 in regulation before going to overtime. And seven of Houston's 20 points came on a pick six. So the defense actually only surrendered 13 points um, to an experienced quarterback, you know, a good offensive mind in Dana Holgerson. And even furthermore, some of those 13 were set up by a, a punt return and field goal that was returned into field goal territory and um, another interception that was returned into field goal range. So really very few like sustained drives from Houston. And so I thought the defense made a big jump from week one to week two, but the identity there is it's kind of a hybrid like four two five system where 
you've got one guy who's sort of like stand up and slash linebacker, and then one guy who's kind of a third safety but plays more in the box like a linebacker. Um, offensively, I actually think the identity was forced to change. Uh, week one, our starting quarterback, Tyler Shuck, who was a transfer from Oregon, went down with a shoulder injury. Same shoulder, he broke his collarbone last season. I don't know if it's the same injury or not, but it's the same shoulder. And so Donovan Smith came in and played most of the game against Murray State and then played every snap against Houston. He was a starter for the final, let's see, four games of last season. And uh, he's young. You know, He's going to be making his sixth career start in Raleigh. Um, but he has he has a decent amount of experience. Um, he played on the road in Norman last year. Didn't start that game. Played a, he played and started the, the entire game against Mississippi State in the Liberty Bowl. Um, went up against Jim Knowles and Oklahoma State's defense last year, and they were incredible. You know they they shut us out actually. So he's kind of seen some stuff for a guy who's uh, you know has about a half a season's worth of snaps under his belt. Young guy, incredibly talented. Um, NFL measurables. He's he's a legit 6'5", 230. He can run. Um, he has a he has a great arm. Um, if you look at some of the tape from the Houston game, about five or six times he throws a dart from one hash to the opposite sideline. You know, a ball that travels thirty to forty yards in the air puts it right on the money. The timing is great. Where he really needs to improve is between the ears and, and some decision making. He threw three interceptions against Houston. Um, pretty ill-advised throws that you know he would have just been better off checking it down or throwing it out of bounds. So you 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 take the bad with the good, I guess. You know he makes plays like that, and he also makes plays where you go, okay, this guy can figure it out and gets the experience and stays healthy. He's an NFL quarterback. Um, because he's a runner, you know we we drew up a lot of designed quarterback runs versus Houston more than I would like actually, because I think we have a good running back who I'll talk about in a minute. But a ton of quarterback draws, quarterback sweeps, and I would really rather see. Donovan Smith um, kind of just run on a, on a play that breaks down and rely more on scrambles than designed quarterback runs. But I do think there'll be a healthy dose of that from the offense. Um, a lot of intermediate pass game. And uh, we'll see to what extent they try to, to run the ball. Um, we have a really good running back, Taj Brooks. He, uh, he didn't have a flashy uh, box score against Houston. Averaged four and a half yards per carry on 18 carries, but he earned every single one of them. I mean, there are plays where it was busted at the line of scrimmage. He makes a guy miss, gets to the next level. Um, and I think Houston has a really good front seven. So to every running back not named Taj Brooks so far this season, they're surrendering 1.7 yards per carry. And like I said, Taj was right at about four and a half. So he definitely overperformed some of his peers. I would like to see him get 20 touches and, and take some of the load off of Donovan um, so that he doesn't have to run the ball as much. But all that to say, I think you'll see hopefully a decently balanced offense, a lot of intermediate passes. Texas Tech worked the sideline a whole bunch. I think they're a little bit nervous about having Donovan throw over the middle some, and so I think they might take some of those play calls and reads away from him. Um, if he plays if he plays a game where he turns the ball over three or four times, um, I, I definitely see Texas Tech obviously struggling. But like I said, he's talented enough. If, if he plays a clean game and can limit the turnovers to zero or one, I think that's the kind of recipe where Texas Tech could could be in it in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I I saw watched watched that Texas Tech Houston game, and I, especially towards the end of the game, I thought he was really well composed. I thought early he maybe they may have thrown him some looks that that confused him and forced some things that 
that he probably shouldn't have. But towards the end of the game, I mean, he made some plays. He made some plays moving out of the pocket. He made some plays throwing the ball downfield. Uh, the talent is there. I mean, I think, like you said, he's got the measurables. He can run. He, he's got an arm. He reminds me of a guy that NC State used to have who ended up transferring to Baylor, Jalen McClendon. You know, big guy, big arm. Um, McClendon's decision-making probably would held him back. But I think you know, Donovan Smith is probably, you know, like you said, he's only got a half a year experience under him. But uh, from what I saw, I, I was impressed. I thought he looked really – he looked strong. And, you know, I, like I agree, I think we'll probably throw some some crazy defenses at him that will – with in hopes of confusing him and making him, you know, force some errors. Uh, yeah, and that's probably what you'll you'll see from our side. Yeah, and, and and Donovan was certainly not helped by the play of his offensive line. I mean, it was apparent watching the game live in the stadium, and then when I rewatched it, I mean, our offensive line got absolutely worked in pass pro. Um, in fact, one of Houston's defensive ends, uh, his last name is Parrish. He set the American Athletic Conference record for single game sacks with four and a half. So that guy was all <laughs> over us all day. And I think that's another thing that needs improvement if, if Texas Tech is going to be competitive against the top-end teams on its schedule like NC State. You, know, you, you, can't, you can't have uh, six sacks surrendered with a young quarterback you know, doing his best to make some reads. Uh, I do think there's some things that Tech can do to, to mitigate that. There was a few times where uh, the entire offensive line just cut blocked and you know, Donovan got it out quick on a 10-yard on a type route. And so – they can do that and, and execute on some screens a little bit better. Uh, j- just work that quick game passing, I think. Hopefully it can neutralize some of the offensive line protection issues. So we'll, we'll see you know, how much of that there is. Like I said, I hope they also balance that with a heavy dose of running the ball with the running backs and not just relying on Donovan to take a quarterback draw and things like that over and over. You guys lost another offensive lineman this this week, right? One of your starters got hurt. Is that correct? Yes, he's a game time decision with a, an ankle sprain. Uh, his name okay. is Weston Wright. He's one of our guards. Um, he's, I, I guess, the most experienced offensive lineman on the team. This would probably be his third or fourth year starting by now. So it would that would be a pretty significant loss. Um, the guy who would come in behind him is a redshirt freshman, so far less experience. Um, so yeah, we'll see if he's up to play and if he is playing, you know, is he at 80% or is he at 95%? That could, that could be a huge factor for sure. State's used to the cut the blocks. Wake Forest, before they sort of galvanized their lines, was notorious for just cut blocking everybody. They had smaller guys and it was just like, I remember one point office alignment was like, they just keep cutting us. You know, he's yeah. just, he was so frustrated after the end of the game. Uh, but yeah, so I mean that's kind of a common common thing you see when the you know you don't have the the, the horses up front, right? Yeah. Uh, you mentioned uh, you mentioned your your DBs. Actually, one of your DBs is from NC State, Malik Dunlap. Yeah, that's How right. How's he been so far this year? He's good. He he made a great play in a key spot uh, fourth quarter against Houston. He he's a really long rangey guy, and you know Houston was trying to go over the top down the sideline, and he made a great play and. Um, you know, outstretched arm, he batted the pass away. It was actually tipped in the air. It might have been picked off uh, if we had a different guy in a better position. But, yeah, he's he's kind of solidified himself as one of the starters. Like I said, we play with five DBs. One of those is kind of a hybrid safety linebacker role. Um, actually a transfer from Duke, so another ACC and um, state of North Carolina guy. But uh, I, I didn't see this clip, but somebody told me about it, that apparently Dave Doran was asked about Malik Dunlap in the presser this week. <laughs> And he kind of like the audio, yeah. He kind of like, I guess, didn't want to touch that. Can you explain that to me at all? 
Um, did, did, did Malik leave on bad terms or something? There's been some, some maybe some rumors on or why he left. He they wanted him to play safety essentially, I think, right? And then he wanted to play corner, and um, you never know what the the real story is behind the scenes. But that I think that is part of it. And uh, you know, Dave, <laughs> we've had some weird questions come Dave's way this week. <laughs> I think that one is just more. He, he plays for the team. He doesn't really have anything to say about it, you know, and, but I think there was, there's probably a little bit of saltiness there. Yeah. Um, I would not be surprised if they pick on him a little bit or try to pick on him a little bit early. Um, yeah. That's interesting. Cause there was also a quote from um, y'all's quarterback, I guess before the season started uh, kind of like a little bit of a back and forth between he and Dunlap about, uh, about that same thing, you know, are you going to be targeted and, uh, I guess Malik, I, I think playfully, I don't think he was trying to talk trash or yeah. anything. was like, you know, yeah, if you want to drop from the first round to the second round, then yeah, throw it at me. Um, <laughs> but I, I was watching the, of course, I'm familiar with the stats and everything, but I was watching the ECU game and y'all's yeah. quarterback can freaking spin it. I mean, he's got a really, really live arm. So if, like I said, the defensive backs as a position group didn't play very well against Murray State, played a lot better against Houston. We'll see what version we get on Saturday, but if they're not, up to par, I think, you know, they certainly have the potential to just get shredded because I, I think really highly of y'all's quarterback. He can throw it. I think he gets out of, when he gets out of his head. Uh, I think we had a little bit of that in the ECU game, maybe thinking too much. You kind of, a guy, he's got all the preseason hype and put some pressure on himself. And yeah, um, kind of saw a little bit in Charleston Southern, but it's hard to take away much from a, you know, an FCS game like that. I think one thing I saw when I, and, and you already mentioned it, when I saw it when I was watching that Houston game is, and I started like, you know, look at my chops here. Like Houston really had success on the wide receiver screens and some of those short mm-hmm. um, intermediate passes. Yeah. And that is a Tim Beck special, much to the chagrin of, of our listeners. He loves to run um, some inside screens, some wide receiver screens, you know, 93% of our passes were inside 10 yards last, last week. Oh, right? wow. It's just like one of those, and we'll probably see a lot of that. And I saw Houston kind of exploit some of the wide receiver screens. And um, I, I honestly, I saw that and I was like, oh, all right, that, that, that sets up pretty well for us. I I think we'd like our, you know, our side wants, wants to see them exploit it more deep. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things that I noticed and I've been talking to my folks about it is I thought the Texas tech defensive line was really aggressive. I thought they, in a good way, uh, I thought they were strong. They looked like they were, you know, maintain their gaps, maintain, contain in, in the most part. What, what's your, am I making things up? Is is the line pretty good? Like that was my, that's my big concern is Texas Tech's line being disruptive right now. I thought, I thought they had some really good players up front. Yeah. I, I think it's mostly solid. Uh, they, they have one extremely elite piece. Um, his name is Tyree Wilson coming off the edge. Another guy with NFL measurables. He's a legit 6'6", 275, um, incredibly toned. And he was he was clocked running uh, between 19 and 20 miles an hour during fall camp. So an absolute freak athlete, you know, long arms. He had, I think, two and a half or three sacks in the Liberty Bowl game against Mississippi State. And that kind of like mm-hmm. really caught everybody's attention. I was like, okay, this guy might be legit. Um, he has, I can't remember, 16 or 18 quarterback pressures so far this season, which I think is second. It's either second nationally or second in the Big 12 among guys that have played 50 snaps or more. Um, so he, he's a guy who um, 
it's obviously going to be a focal point for NC State's offensive line. But if he is able to make a couple plays, he's he's a guy that could end a drive with a sack, maybe force a, a strip sack and, and change the game. Uh, besides him, on the interior, um, there's basically a three-man rotation for two spots, but they'll all play roughly equally. Uh, that'd be Jalen Hutchings, Philip Bleedy, and Tony Bradford. They're all very solid, you know, power five caliber players. They're not they're not going to jump off the page at you like Tyree Wilson will, but they they've done a really good job of um, especially stuff in the run. I think. Um, so yeah, I, I think a solid defensive line, and like I said, we're aggressive. We'll bring extra pressure from the linebacker spots and that hybrid linebacker safety spot, and that's where, again, if you miss time that and, and NC State executes a screen well. You know, that could be a vulnerability for Texas Tech. But, uh, yeah, I think overall, great run defense from the defensive line and um, a capable pass rush. It hasn't quite gotten there as much as you would like it to so far this season, but a guy like Tyree Wilson can absolutely explode onto the scene um, at a moment's notice. Yeah, Tyree Wilson last year finished with 13 and a half tackles for a loss, seven sacks. I mean, that's a mm-hmm. pretty strong line. Like, yeah. it, it, I'm looking at uh, some of your grades from Houston game. Uh, Krishan Merriweather graded out at 91.2, which is insane. I yeah, he's a he's a run stuff in middle linebacker. Um, doesn't quite have the lateral speed and everything for for coverage, and that's where again you can be vulnerable to a screen. You know, if a if a guy like that needs to make a play in space, he might be at a disadvantage. But he, he's great in the in the run defense game. Yeah, Jalen Hutchins and uh, Tyree Wilson both graded out at 76 and 76.5 and 72.8. So the the first two guys you mentioned are you know two of the top three highest graded guys from uh, your Houston game last last week, and Tyree Wilson with the seventy eight point five PFF pass rush grade. That's pretty strong. Um, that is my that's that's my main concern. I think as a, as a state fan is how does our offensive line, which is a bit of an unknown, they they kind of held up okay against ECU, but ECU never brought too much pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they did, they kind of got, you know, leery in a hurry. I'm curious how, how they hold up against, you know, a, a real power five D line that I, I think there's some real talent on that, in that squad. If Texas tech were to win this game, what, what did they do? What did they do? Right. I think it starts with taking care of the ball on offense. Um, I think the offensive line has to play a lot better than it did last week. I mean, when you give up four and a half sacks to one guy and then, Quarterback's running for his life, uh, can't get the run game going. You know, you grinded it out against Houston, but this time you're on the road against a better team. I, I don't see that recipe working again. So I think Donovan needs to take care of the ball. Some of that is protection in the pocket. Um, he actually he fumbled three times against Houston, and Tech recovered all three of them. So you were on the verge there of a, of a really, really bad day. I mean, he could have had five or six turnovers, um, had the ball bounce a little bit differently. So I think that's step one. If, uh, if Texas Tech is even or, or maybe even minus one in the in the turnover battle, I think they can stay in it. But it's the kind of deal where NC State can force two or three takeaways. I, I don't see that as a winning recipe for Tech. Um, I think the defense needs to keep things in front of them. I, I think you can live with giving up some short passes, intermediate passes. It's the, it's the getting beat over the top and getting beat deep that, that concerns me with our secondary. Again, maybe that's where the pass rush can mitigate that. If, if a guy like Tyree Wilson isn't allowing those plays to develop downfield, then maybe um, that uh, helps kind of cover um, for the defensive secondary, maybe having a lapse in coverage. So, you know, I see it as a game where a lot of it is going to come down to Donovan Smith. 
and uh, turned the ball over three times against Houston, found a way to win. That's not going to work this weekend. So, like I said, he he's an NFL quarterback when he's playing at his best, and I think that I think it's going to take his very best. I think it's going to take Taj Brooks touching the ball twenty times out of the backfield, uh, a better performance from our offensive line and the defense holding their own. Um, I think I think Tech can win maybe a game that's played in the in the thirties, but I think it, once if NC State gets to 35, 38, 40 plus. Uh, I, don't, I don't want to get into a shootout with them uh, by any means. I, I think that puts Donovan and our offensive line in a bad spot. And and you, you have some juice at the receiver spots for Texas Tech. Um, not a ton of experience. And so I don't want to get into a track race. I want to play a methodical, efficient game of offense. And then hopefully the defense can bow up and, and hold their own and keep it competitive in the fourth quarter. Who is your top receiver? Uh, I know Tosh Rooks got a lot of passes out of the backfield last week. Was it uh, Cleveland? Is that guy's name? Is he the one? He He's actually one of the backups on the perimeter. Uh, your two starters okay. outside are a pair of 6'4", 6'5", guys. Um, first is Loic Fungi, and the second is Jaron Bradley. They're both sophomores, I believe. Uh, one might actually be a redshirt freshman based on classification. Um, young guys, not very experienced. They do have talent. They're not speedsters. So if they're a threat deep, it's going to be more of a threat to like to win a jump ball. They're not. They're not burners. I, w- I would say our primary weapon at receiver is actually an inside receiver named Miles Price. He's in his third year. Um, the numbers don't wow you, but I think the potential does. And we all kind of thought he would be the focal point of Kitley's offense. That hasn't quite manifested itself yet, but. Um, in Kitley's offense at Western Kentucky, his slot receiver, Jarrett Stearns, caught a ton of passes. I mean, I think 100-plus on the season. And Miles Price hasn't had that volume yet, but he'll play almost every offensive snap, and I think he's the most dynamic in terms of yards after the catch. And so he could be a really, uh, a really important component of the offense. I think he's probably the, the primary receiver, just kind of a totally different position and different skill set than the guys we have on the outside. As as a whole, are they more um, big, bigger guys, possession guys? Are they more speed? speed guys? Yeah, uh, m- mostly big guys. So we we rotate the two outside positions. Like I said, Jaron Bradley, Loic Fungi will be the starters. They'll play the majority of snaps. Their backups mm-hmm. are like carbon copies of them. They're also six four, six five, and and really athletic, but also not speedsters. So you have that on the outside. We rotate three tight ends. Henry Teeter, Mason Tharp, and Baylor Cup. Um, Mason Tharp is actually legit 6'8", 6'9". I mean, he's uh, you're, you're not going to miss him uh, when he's out there. But uh, but Baylor Cup is 6'6". And so, you know, everybody joked about how uh, – so Baylor Cup transferred in from Texas A&M, and everybody joked about how he probably didn't anticipate looking up at one of his teammates when he got here. But uh, <laughs> he is just in the tight end room. And then Henry Teeter, I think, is more of a run-blocking tight end. But – You'll see all three of them, and so if you play with a tight end on the field plus those two guys on the outside, you do leave room for one of the shorter, uh, speedier slot receivers. But, yeah, that there is a ton of height, and, again, Donovan is 6'5", 230, so you, you do have some pretty tall, long, ath- uh, long athletes just all across the offense. All right, Kyle, it comes down to it. Texas Tech's 10-point underdog. Where are you laying your money? Yeah, I actually like that number for Texas Tech to cover. Um, 
I was encouraged, again, by the performance against Houston, not necessarily on the field play, but just the mental toughness between the ears to to claw your way back into that game and win it. So I, I would be pretty disappointed if, if NC State wins this game by two touchdowns and it's not very competitive in the fourth quarter. Um, I don't think Texas Tech has the juice to win, but you know I think they could keep it to seven or ten and um, probably build on that performance going into Big 12 play. So – uh, especially if I could get it at ten and a half with the hook, I think I would like Texas Tech plus the points. If it starts creeping down to like eight and a half or eight before kickoff, I'd probably stay away from it. But um, yeah, I think NC State will win, and I hope it's a hope it's a competitive game. All right, well, tell everybody where they can find you. This I know you probably got some coverage coming this week, but also more importantly, where can they get one of those those hats? Man, that is a dope hat, and I oh, need cool. it in my life. <laughs> Yeah, uh, so you can find us at Gambling Gauchos on Twitter and Instagram. Um, podcast is by the same name. We're on Apple, Spotify, anywhere else you get your podcasts. Uh, one of our sponsors is actually a local um, a, a merchandiser here in Lubbock called Cardinals. And so uh, the, we sell a black hat and a white hat. I heard it's going to be a blackout in Raleigh. So if, if anybody wants a uh, black Gambling Gauchos hat shipped to them, maybe you can have that overnighted before Saturday. Um but yeah, that's where you can find us, and, and we will have kind of an in-depth preview on NC State if if folks want to check that out. They're more than welcome to, and we kind of cover the rest of the Big 12 as well, so if in, any NC State fans just kind of want to keep up with another team or another conference, uh, we welcome listeners from uh, anywhere across the map. Well, Kyle, I appreciate your time. I think your insights into Texas Tech are, are, are going to be really good for our fans. I think there's a lot of um, kind of unknown out there. And I've heard other NC State podcasts keep referring to y'all as air raid. I'm like, they're not air raid, man. Let's let's yeah. <laughs> let's understand our opponent a little bit better. Like, watch the game. They were they're on national TV last week. So anyway, yeah. your insight's going to be really good. I think the game's going to be really good. Um, it's going to be a for us. It's going to be a learning experience. We're we're kind of figuring out who we are. Are we the team that played ECU? Are the team that played Charleston Southern? Are we somewhere in between? I think they're still. You know, if you've seen Dave Doran's Twitter this week, he's been super salty with his team. I think he's trying to get them motivated, you know, that kind of yeah. deal. So I think it's it's going to be interesting, and I, I can't wait to go to this game. It's going to be a lot of fun, and, and I look forward to it. But I appreciate your time, and uh, hope, hopefully a good game this weekend. Yeah, I appreciate you having me, and hopefully we'll see some of your listeners in 2027 for that return trip to Lubbock. Oh, I will be there. I will be there. I go to I try to go to one a year. I try to go to one that we don't go to a lot. And I'm, I'm putting that on my calendar. By that time, my boys will probably be old enough that they'll want to come with me. So I'll, yeah, that's my plan. Good deal. <laughs> yeah. All right, folks. As always, thanks for listening. Go pack. I was raised by the way.